Hi, and welcome to Real Talk with Rachel, with my wife, Rachel Gilbert. Did you know that God has a unique call on your life? But things like fear, insecurities, and lies keep us from experiencing God's best. This podcast will consist of real talk about real life with real people. We pray that every episode brings you one step closer to your original design so you can confidently pursue your God-given dreams. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Rachel. So today is actually a special edition episode because if you are not aware, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I actually asked my very own big sister, Becky Fields, to come on and share her story about her breast cancer, how she found out she had breast cancer. It truly is a conversation of real talk about someone walking through breast cancer, what that looks like to find out, how the family comes along and supports. So really, this is an episode I feel like for every single person, men and women alike, because you're going to get a little bit of a behind the scenes of if you're the person currently walking through breast cancer. Um, But you're also going to get a viewpoint from even if you're just someone who maybe you have a friend or family member who's walked through breast cancer or another form of cancer. And so I want to encourage you to really just take the time to listen to this episode. It's a little longer than these podcasts generally run, but I promise you every single minute is worth it. There's literally no fluff in this episode. And I want to encourage you to bring a box of Kleenexes because there are some times that I got a little emotional, and so I'm recording this intro after the fact, after I've collected my emotions a little bit more so I could introduce to you my sister, and I'm just really excited to have her on here. I know this episode's going to bless you, so let's just go ahead and jump right into my conversation with my sister, Becky. Hey, Becky, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to get you on the podcast. I'm excited to be here too. I love listening to your podcast and um, I love listening to podcasts in general, kind of a junkie. And so it was exciting that you started your own and I've never been on a podcast. So this will be fun. Yay. All right. So I know I told y'all in the intro that Becky is my sister, but really Becky's just going to have to be on the podcast a couple of times because um, she is, I'll let her tell you all the official things she does, but she is Mrs. Businesswoman Extraordinaire, super wise in business. I've looked up to her for many things when it comes to the business world. And so she's very great at time management and has all kinds of tools to offer you that actually at the end of the show, I will tell you where you can find her online, but we will be bringing her back on to do a little bit more practical type of things. But today I really felt God um, asked me to have you on here to share a little bit about your journey with breast cancer. I would love to. Yeah. So we're just going to jump right in. And well, you know what, before you start sharing your story of your breast cancer and everything, I do want you to um, just kind of share with everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I have two children, Gabby and Zach. Gabby's 22 years old and Zach is seven or 17. Oops. He'd not be happy about that. He's 20 and he's in, he's still in college and Gabby just graduated. And I'm a banker. I'm a career banker. I've been um, basically on the loan side of banking for my whole career. And then I also love leading and developing leaders. And so my mission and passion in life is to lead, coach, and inspire women to be all that God created 
created them to be. So I also have a side business that I run mastermind groups for high-performing women in business. Those are my main passions in life. And then I also am am an involved Rotarian and just love to do things in the community to serve other people. That's awesome. And you know, what's so crazy about the more you get to know Becky and all that she does, especially in leadership, and just like you said, um, with women calling those types of things out of them, I'm always just inspired by you. And even just, you know, looking up to you as having been your younger sister, the things that you've walked through, like one of the things that we're gonna talk to you today with this whole the breast cancer and how instead of knocking you down really did just make you stronger. So go ahead and kind of jump into tell us like a little bit about how long ago was it that you found out about breast cancer and kind of what does your story look like? Yeah. So um, while we're recording, it will be three years ago this week that I found out that I even needed to have some further tests done. I had gone in for a mammogram, a routine mammogram on October 19th. So I, that had been my third mammogram. I was 42 and my doctor wanted me to start at the age of 40. And in fact, we started a little bit early. He said, oh, let's just get a baseline. So I had actually already had two mammograms. I was on my third one without any thought of, of having any trouble. And then I got the call back a couple of days later that they did see something. And so they wanted to get me back in. Unfortunately, um, I didn't get in for another six weeks um, just because the schedule was full. So I kind of just had that in the back of my mind playing and just trying to believe God that it was nothing because you hear a lot of people that, you know, they get these calls back and it's negative. And, you know, so I just kept believing that. But whenever I went back in, the uh, radiologist said, hey, let's go in another room. We want you to see a doctor. And so then they started talking to me and then I realized, oh, my goodness, this could be something. And so they brought in and um, took me down and did an ultrasound and then brought in the radiologist right then and just said, "Okay, we see something we don't like and but we do want to do a biopsy. And so they scheduled me for that. So. In December, um, gosh, it's been three years ago now, in December of that year, I found out that I did have um, stage zero breast cancer. And at the time, it was kind of, I had just remembered this story recently because I actually did an interview for U.S. News and World Report last week because they were doing a story on how women find out they have breast cancer. And there's really no good way to find out you have any kind of cancer or any horrible diagnosis like that. But one of the ways, you know, that happens a lot and the majority of the time is they'll call you. And so I was actually driving from my office to an appointment and I got my call from the doctor's office and the nurse, you know, started telling me, you know, you have cancer. And I was just driving. I was just in such shock. I didn't know what to do. And I drove home. I really don't know how I wasn't. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. So but thankfully, I live close to the bank. And so I um drove home and I just remember pulling into my driveway and it was so surreal. I just, I reached in the back seat and I was trying to find something to ride on because she was just telling me, you know, you'll have six weeks of radiation. Um, you'll have chemotherapy, you'll have a lumpectomy and, um, just kind of giving me everything. So I wrote all of that down and then just went inside the house and called my boyfriend and called my mom and just was kind of sitting there in shock. And my main thing when I started really to break down was just thinking of telling my kids. Mm-hmm. And that was really the hardest thing for me. And that was just, I didn't want to deliver bad news to them. And so I just had to wait for someone to get here with me, you know, so I could, you know, make that call because they've been through a lot in their life anyway. And I just, uh, I, you know. 
still chokes me up. Obviously, I did not want to have to tell them that. And um, then just even, you know, my sisters and my dad and everything and call and all everybody that's important to me. It was just that was really the hardest thing. So I don't feel like I was as scared for myself as I was for everyone else. And then also my boyfriend had lost his mom to breast cancer. So I was really worried about him too. You know, I felt God's peace right away. Um, I didn't really know what I was dealing with because then again, you don't get to in to see the doctor for another couple of weeks. So you're just kind of going, what does all of this mean? And I tried not to Google anything. I would <laughs> recommend that, you know, don't Google for as long as you can because, um, it doesn't help all that much, really, because you don't really know exactly what you have. Um, there's different kinds, and everybody's journey is a little bit different. And so it's really best to talk to your doctors about it. But I didn't Google for a while. Um, but then after I went into the doctor, I wasn't getting any answers. And um, one of the things, my doctor was fine, but one of the things I learned is that you have to really speak up for yourself during any big issue like this, because, you know, only you know how to take care of yourself and all of the medical, you're going around to so many different offices and there's not really like one advocate that just kind of advocates for you. You're doing it yourself. Well, at that time, I had never known anyone that had cancer close to me. And so I didn't know oh, I should call the oncologist next or, oh, I should call a plastic surgeon or, you know, or nutritionist or anything, you know, so I just had all these questions that I did kind of start Googling because I thought, well, I don't know what to do about this. And um, I had a, a doctor that was pretty cut and dry and real to the point, And she was nice, um, but just not a good style for me. So I had real, um, I had peace about the situation, but I didn't have peace about what I was supposed to do. So it turned out after they ended up doing some more tests and MRIs and everything that they couldn't do the lumpectomy. They had to do a mastectomy. And um, I didn't understand the difference or why. And then I, so I had questions about that. And then the other thing that happens is then at that point, I had a choice whether I could have a single or a double mastectomy. And I didn't really understand what that meant or even what kind of breast cancer I had at that point because I didn't know the correct questions to ask. And so I was feeling very uneasy. And so my mom, <laughs> being the good mom that she is, said, I'm coming with you to your next appointment. I think you're just not asking enough questions. So she did. She came to the appointment with me and we asked a few questions. But what we were hoping for is for them to say, oh, you just need to do this or this. But that's not really their job either. They're, they just kind of give you the information they have. And then you are the one that it's your body. So you can determine whether you're going to do a single or a double mastectomy. In some cases, like in mine, I did get to choose because it wasn't necessary. They said it wasn't medically necessary for me to have both. Well, then, of course, you're just asking around at that point saying, what did you do, you know, to people that you meet? And I just didn't feel any peace about it. And I was scheduled for surgery that Friday. And this was a Monday. And so I asked the doctor, I said, what, um, you know, I just don't know which I should do. And she said, well, you know, I can't tell you, you just need to decide. And I still hadn't decided and they needed the room for me to leave. And so she said, well, just call back and leave a message with the nurse, which you want, whether it was going to be single or double. And I just was so devastated because I thought this is huge, you know, and I said, well, if you get in there and you find more cancer, what will happen? And she said, well, then we can come back in and do the other one if you need to. Well, I was already so scared of the surgery. I thought, well, I don't really want to come back and do this again if I don't have to. And it was pretty traumatic. And so 
I just did not feel peace. I felt peace about everything except for that decision. And I was thinking, I'm having this huge surgery on Friday and I don't feel peace about it. And so that night I was supposed to go to Bible study and we got out of my appointment at like 5.30 and I started crying when we got to the car and mom said, um, I said, I'm not going to Bible study. And she said, yeah, I think you need to. I'll take you. I said, I can't even drive. She said, I'll take you. And so we drove to Bible study together and she doesn't even live here in my town. And so she just came with me and um, we got to Bible study and I sat down because I didn't feel like talking to anybody. And I sat down at a table alone and this lady walked over. (laughs) This is all my whole story is. There are just angels that God puts throughout every little piece. So um, this lady walked over and she had a wig on, you could tell, and she sat down and she had a name tag on and it said, hello, my name is, and there was no name on it. And I said, hi. And she goes, I said, hi, my name's Becky. And she said, hi. And then she looked down and realized she hadn't written her name. She goes, I'm so sorry. I have chemo brain. And I said, oh, are you going through cancer? Well, we ended up talking and she was going through chemo for breast cancer. And so we ended up sitting there talking all night. And I told her, you know, that I was not feeling peace about what I was supposed to do and um, chemotherapy, all the different decisions I had to make, reconstructive surgery or not. There are just so many different things and you get a lot of opinions. And so I just said, I just don't feel peace yet. And she said, well, I went to Cancer Treatment Center of America. And I said, well, I tried to go there, but um, my insurance wasn't accepted here in Oklahoma at that hospital. And she said, oh, that happened to me too, but I was able to go to Chicago, which I had never heard of anything where you could, I didn't understand insurance and how that worked. And so anyway, she explained, you know, that she got to go where she wanted to go because of her insurance. So anyway, she gave me all the numbers and she said, you just really need to go there and get a second opinion because if you don't feel peace about it, then you just need to get a second opinion. And she said, I just had a great experience there because I got so much education And so she said, um, you would just feel better just to have a little more education on it, I think. Even if you come back here and do the surgery, maybe you would feel better uh, because it just feels like you don't really know exactly what's going on yet. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I do. And so I called Cancer Treatment Center the next morning and they said, of course, you can come. And so they flew me to Chicago within two days and I um, had three days worth of appointments and it was just like, God, one of the biggest things that I didn't feel peace about with the doctor that I was going to, like I said, she was very nice, very smart, very well known, but um, she was so clinical that she never asked me like, do I have kids or anything like that? And like I said, that was my biggest thing. My biggest worry was about my kids. And I thought somebody's going to operate on me and they don't even know if I have kids or if I'm leaving someone behind or anything, mm-hmm. you know, and I just felt very disconnected from the whole thing. Anyway, mom went with me and Mike went with me to my appointment in Chicago and I had seven different doctors and you would go to each of them throughout the day. And every single one of them, the first question that they asked me is, so do you have kids? How old are they? You know, and so we could not st- stop smiling all day because we just felt like God had set that up just for me to have the right doctors that I needed. And there's a different doctor for everyone. And so that's one thing I always tell girls who are going through this is just because someone's recommended doesn't mean that's recommended for you. And you don't have to take the same path that everybody else does if it doesn't make you comfortable. But from that day on, I felt so much peace about what I was going to do. And I felt educated about 
the different risks each way. And for my specific thing, I knew everything about it. That was the first time I found out that I had triple negative breast cancer. And that is just a a rarer form of breast cancer that I didn't even know that I had. And it was just a, a more aggressive form and it doesn't have as good of a success rate on a lot of things. So to me, getting a double mastectomy was a, a for sure thing at that point when I found out what I had. And so that's my main thing that I like to tell people is that, you know, just listen to your own intuition because, you know, medical staff are wonderful, but they only know you for the few minutes that you're there. And so you have to speak up and, and be your own advocate and let your family advocate for you too, because a lot of times you don't even really know what you need and they'll stand up for you. Just like mom coming to my appointment with me, you know? Anyway, one of the biggest things that happened also during all of this that I found that God was just so faithful during everything, and that was every step of the way, there were different, like I said, angels just placed in my path. For one thing, after my biopsy, you have to go back in a couple of days after the biopsy and get yet another mammogram. And you're, you know, you're sore from the biopsy. Well, on top of that, I had blisters on my boob, and I didn't know why? I just thought it was from the biopsy. Well, turns out I'm allergic to latex. I just didn't know it. So like I had all these blizzards and whenever the lady at the mammogram place went to do the thing, she said, Oh honey. And she was like a radiologist person. And she goes, no, we need to get this taken care of. So she goes and gets a nurse and she, they bandage me up and, you know, help me with these blisters and get the latex off of me and everything. And so there were just things like that, that, where you are alone and you feel so isolated and alone because you're in all these tests, you know, no one can go into the biopsy with you. No one can go into the MRI with you or all the different tests and things that you do. And so a lot of times you feel lonely, but there were so many times that God's grace was just all around me and I felt so much peace. And one of the biggest times was a few nights before I had the surgery I felt so alone and I just kept crying and saying, and it was in the middle of the night, it was like three in the morning. And I thought, you know, I just said out loud, I said, why can I not stop crying? Like I could have picked up the phone and called mom. I could have called any one of you girls. And, but it, nothing, I felt like nothing would console me at that point, just because I felt so like my life was about to change. It's a huge loss. Mm -hmm. um, And you can't, you just can't describe the feeling of all of a sudden being faced with mortality where one day you just feel like you're fit and everything's fine. And then the next day you wonder if every bump or bruise has to do with cancer or something. So mm-hmm. it just kind of rocks your world all of a sudden. Yeah. And so anyway, I was trying to go to sleep and I just had this impression of whenever God or whenever Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he was being ready to be put to death and he had his disciples with them and they went to sleep and he was praying by himself and he just felt so alone. And I just remember feeling so sad for him in that moment, thinking you were so alone and you knew what was going to happen to you. And yet, yet you still did it that, mm. you know, you still sacrificed for us. And I just was so thankful for that picture of him. I just saw it so vividly that he was there, you know, he gave his life and went through it on purpose. And here I was, you know, I wasn't even going through this on purpose. I didn't like it, but it wasn't, I mean, he was actually offering up and sacrificing himself. Wow. 
That's such a powerful visual, very powerful. What you kind of started to hit on, the, how big of a change it was for you on the double mastectomy. Do you want to share any more about that? How you started to talk a little bit about how just, especially as a woman, that's just a really hard thing to, to have to go through. Yeah. It changed me more than I thought it would. Um, Before the surgery, I was very confident and sure. I didn't cry much. I just knew that I was fighting and I did everything I could. I made sure I kept working out every day. I kept eating right. Um, I just made sure that I was in the best shape and like the best shape of my life is kind of what I wanted to be in like whenever I went into surgery. So I would have the best chance of fighting whatever. But where I had the biggest battle was afterwards because it was really hard to look in the mirror. And I made a choice to do reconstructive surgery. Again, everyone's different. I had looked at all of the pictures and the options and I just didn't feel I could be happy with um, not doing the reconstructive surgery. And there's pros and cons both ways. And you live with whichever one you chose, you know, and God makes it okay. But about for, I'd say, probably six months, I couldn't, um, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and I couldn't wash my, my chest. And so I would just turn to the shower, you know, turn and let it roll over me. Cause it's very, you feel very deformed. And, um, I've never thought of myself as like a sexuality kind of person. I've never been one that like wears low cut tops or anything. So I really couldn't understand why it affected me so much because no one could see it. Mm. But then the neat thing is that I learned so much about myself and how vain I was and how I felt like my worth was, you know, tied up like that. Because of course I thought, you know, my boyfriend won't like me, you know, I don't like myself, you know, why would he ever like me? Mm -hmm. And then, um, on top of that, the, you know, the good thing that really happened was I'd walk into a room for several months. And whenever I walked in, I was, I'd put my head down because I felt like a lack of confidence. And it made me realize so much, you know, to notice people that deal with an outward disability, Mm. because I could not believe how much that affected my self-confidence just to walk in a room and, No one could tell. And a lot of people in town didn't know. My clients didn't know. I didn't tell, you know, my clients, I didn't talk about that. So they wouldn't have even known, but my self-confidence was just shaken. And one thing that really upset me was that I was so upset and I couldn't get out of the depression. And I thought, this is so stupid, Becky. Here, you fought this. You won. You went through the surgery. You're, you know, recovering and you're more depressed than you've ever been. And I think what I was doing is I was putting too high of expectations on myself to just bounce back and it's just going to be okay. And one of the things too that I did is I found out, um, so whenever I got my biopsy report back or the pathology report back after the surgery, I found out that the cancer hadn't spread. We had caught it early and so it had not spread to my lymph nodes. And so I went in for my chemo appointment and met and my oncologist came in And he said, I have good news. He said, we're canceling your appointment. And I was like, why? What are we rescheduling or what? You know, I was like, I just flew up here, you know, to Chicago. And he said, you don't have to have chemo. And I I thought, wait, I don't understand. How do I not have to keep? He said, it hasn't spread. 
we feel like we got it all and you don't have to have chemo. And I started crying and I think he probably thought I was happy, but I felt immense guilt. I felt because I had several friends that I had met at CTCA that were going through it at the same time. And I thought, well, that's not fair. How do I get out of this? You know, I had prepared myself for it and I just felt so guilty about it. And, um, I really dealt with that for a while. And I remember you one time, Rachel, I had, I finally admitted that I hadn't admitted that to anyone and I admitted it to you. And, um, I said, you know, I just feel bad. I feel like I got off scot-free, you know, like I don't even have to have the bad part. And you had mentioned that, you know, you had a friend going through cancer at the same time. And I remember she mentioned saying something about me saying, Oh, I feel bad for her because she had to have a mastectomy. And I thought, it's not just like Satan, to Mm -hmm. use our own thoughts. I mean, here we're both going through a battle and then you're sitting there comparing yourself to what someone else is going through instead of just praising God for a victory in your life. Mm. And that was, you know, a huge turning point for me whenever I heard that, because I just thought, you know, praise God, you know, I'm not going to feel guilty and um, I'm just going to praise God for what he's done. I love that. I'm writing it down as we speak that, um, instead of comparing ourselves to what someone else is going through to praise God for that victory in your life, because this applies across the board. I mean, you could apply that to so many areas of our life that we always hear comparison as a negative thing, obviously when we want something, but you don't always hear about comparison when you feel bad because maybe you, you know, you got something that somebody else didn't. And so now you don't even celebrate, like you said, that victory. That's really a powerful statement and a powerful way of looking at it too. Yeah, it definitely changed my outlook from then on. And, you know, there, it's just we all go through things differently. There were times, too, where like if I saw someone on Facebook, I end up having to get off Facebook because I would see people uh, two different things. One thing that would affect me is if I saw someone else going through something hard and they were really joyful, mm-hmm. I think, oh, how bad am I? I'm sitting over here depressed and she's out, you know, spreading cheer and being inspirational. And here I am on my couch watching the, you know, 50th episode of Netflix or something, <laughs> you know, because I can't, you know, I would go to work and I would come home and I would just sit down on the couch all night. And so I'd find myself comparing. And then the other thing that happened a lot was I would um, be jealous of people having fun. Mm. Even, you know, like my son would leave and, you know, Mike would come to get him and say, you know, let's go to a movie or something. I say, well, I don't feel like going. And so they'd end up going without me. And then I'd feel bad because, oh, everyone's just having fun without me, you know, and having little pity parties. But it was just really through all of those things, I realized how much I was doing that in my life anyway, and that I just needed to rely on God as my one and my, you know, my grace for everything. Yeah, that's so good. And I I really appreciate how real you're being with this. Obviously, this is Real Talk with Rachel, but you know, not everybody always takes that so seriously, because it would be really easy just to be like, yeah, you know, I was saying my scriptures every day. And I, you know, you know, and of course, I know you did that. But at the same time, there are just those hard times. And 
I think that's really important and powerful for other people to hear that it's okay to have those days that you're just like, this sucks. Like, you know, and right. like, let's just sit, call it what it is and, you know, recognize that, but then bringing that into the light and, you know, letting people know that, hey, that's a normal reaction to have that when you go through a major right. crisis like this. It's okay. You know, it's okay to mourn. It's okay to grieve. It's it's okay to feel those things. So thank you for just sharing that. I know you have a lot of things now you're passionate about when it comes to this area of practically speaking, you know, um, I know with all of us sisters, you're like, okay, girls, you got to start getting your, <laughs> your test, you know, even, even before you're supposed to. So are there any other practical tips that you want to share too with people? Yeah, I think the main thing is just self-care. I think that one of the things that they told me whenever I found out that I had cancer, because I had none of the risk factors, I wasn't overweight, I hadn't been a smoker or a drinker, I didn't have it in my family. So I had none of the risk factors for that or for the kind of cancer that I had. And so I just finally asked them one day, I said, you know, what is this? What, you know, what, I don't want to have this again, what happened? And they said, you know, Cancer just, we can't explain it yet in a lot of cases. It definitely doesn't make sense. But, you know, you have had a stress, you know, stress in your job. And so there are things that I just try to do now to help with stress. And so the main things I do is self-care. And I think as women and high-performing women especially, we are so hard on ourselves. We, you know, just expect so much from ourselves and we give, give, give to our family, to our churches, to our jobs, and we really do not take time for ourselves. So I am huge on self-care now. I build in margin. I build in buffer space around everything. So my morning now is my own. I do not get up and rush around. I have a routine that I do every morning. And especially during that time, whenever I couldn't work out anymore, that was real depressing for me. And so I started yoga and I love yoga. And I have a little seven minute yoga video that I would do every morning. And at first I couldn't do the whole thing because I couldn't raise my arms. But as I started being able to do that, it, that was the most restorative thing for me. And so I made sure and do yoga every day, just a little seven minute routine. And then I would meditate and um, I just used the Calm app and it would just help me um, with pain relief so I could stop taking the pain medication. And, and it would just, uh, I would just focus on, you know, releasing tension in my body because I didn't realize how much stress that I held. One of the big lessons that I learned is that whenever I was adding things back, I realized how out of control my life was and how many things I was doing all at one time because I could. And I think as women, we can juggle a ton of things. And just because we can doesn't mean we need to. And so as I was adding things back, uh, my main two things were to get healthy and to be able to keep my job. I'm a single mom, so it wasn't like I could just quit and stay home. So I was right back at work. And so those were the two most important things were to have my health and have my job. And those were the only two plates I could spin. And so I just worked on spinning those plates. And until I got really good at that and wasn't stressed without that, then I could start adding some other things back in. But I'm still pretty stingy with my time. I block out time, you know, at night or on the weekend, and it is on my calendar, and it's just a blank space, and I color code everything now, so um, I can see if I'm over, if my week has too much of one thing, and so one of my categories is keeping, called keeping me healthy, and that's one of my colors, and it's in purple, and so I just make sure that I have 
you know, some, some of those times blocks. So those will be my workouts. Those will be my quiet time, just my time for reading. And if I notice that those are, you know, just even getting a massage or a pedicure or manicure, all those things that you can do, I go, I like to go do float therapy or hyperbaric chamber, go to the chiropractor, just whatever I can um, to really focus on my health and keep me healthy and keep me, you know, as stress-free as I can, then those are the things that I focus on and just keeping the right color balance in my week. So I have some of the things that I do in yellow or orange. And if I get too many of those, I'll notice and I'll just have to say, you know, no, I can't do anything else this week. And I don't care at all. I am okay with protecting my body and protecting my space uh, just because I know I, I don't want to be stressed out again to where it makes me sick. Yeah. And I think that's a tip for all of us because I don't think that it should like, you know, you've inspired me personally to be more intentional with that kind of stuff because I don't want it to be something like cancer that forces me to have to, you know, actually do that. And so you guys are, for those of you listening, you're getting a glimpse into how Becky is amazing with systems. And so this is just one of her, you know, the color coding thing. And so I definitely am going to have her come back on and share more about time management systems because she's really, really great at that. And simple things that you've taught me that just implemented can totally reduce stress and help us to be more focused on the things we're supposed to be focusing on. I would love that. Yeah. So, um, okay. What after self-care, did you have any other practical type things or... Or what about, um, if not practical and self-care, I have a feeling everybody listening to this today either lives in one of two camps because breast cancer just affects every family alive today. You know, I've never really met a family that didn't have at least that person was the one who went through it or they walked alongside someone who went through it. So what kind of tips, because I love, I actually made a note in the beginning when you said the hardest part for you, which just shows how big your heart is, you weren't even worried about yourself. You were worried about telling your own family and your kids, especially. So what tips do you have for, I guess I just asked you like five questions at once. So I guess you can choose which one you want to answer, but what tips do you have for then the family and the friends who are walking alongside somebody, how they can support you, especially when, cause I would guess you're not the only person who that was the hardest part for them was to tell their kids or, you know, different family members. Right. It was so helpful. My family was really good. I was very fortunate because I did have family around. And so everyone did take turns coming to help, especially during those first couple of weeks where you have your drains and all that kind of stuff. And I would recommend um, if you're a caregiver, just to go ahead and ask, maybe don't even say, let me know if there's anything I can do. Just say, I'm going to be there in 30 minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, and then you'll, you figure out what to do, whether it's just sit there and watch them sleep or whatever, because there was a time to mom came and stayed with me during the first week. And I can't remember what she had. There was something that she had to leave for. So I said, Oh, I'll be fine. Well, dad and our other sister, Jenny, weren't going to have anything of that. You know, they, but they all live close by. And so they could come over, um, and help during that first time. And so dad even came over and was just like helping me with my drains and everything. And I had said, no, I'll be fine. But I was so glad because you're just so tired and you, you don't, want to eat, you don't, you know, you're not really thinking about getting your water and all that stuff. And so I say, you know, my friends that really reached out 
they meant so much to me because a lot of times I think what we do whenever there's a a crisis, I don't know if this was a crisis, but a serious situation, you don't know what to say. So Mm -hmm. you just don't say anything. And that silence is really deafening and it Mm -hmm. can go on and on for a long time. And, you know, I have some friends who I know they're great friends, but you know, it was six months to a year before I would hear from them. And you do, you think about it and you know, they're busy, but you know, when you're sitting there on the couch at night, you're just thinking, uh, it would be nice if one of them would call, but you, for some reason I did not reach out. And that's what I would tell someone who's going through it is do reach out because no one can read your mind and tell when you're depressed or what you need. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to be respectful of your space. And so, Um, On both sides, you know, ask for help. But then also on the other side, those people who just didn't say, oh, you know, is there anything you need? They would just show up with dinner and they would, one girl, uh, if you're a hairdresser, oh my goodness, you'll be a godsend. One of my friends and her daughter, her daughter's my hairdresser. And she paid for, like, I want to say it was six months worth of me having my hair done. Well, you can't raise your arms for the first I think it's six weeks. I can't remember, but it was a long time. You can't raise your arms above your head. And so for someone to wash your hair for you. So I went in every week, like a little grandma to the beauty salon to get my hair washed and, and styled. And that was such a blessing. So just some, you know, practical things like that, that of things, you know, getting your nails done or something. It was so nice whenever people just offered it um, because I really didn't know what I needed at that point. Yeah. That practical tip about getting the hair done. That's a really good one. Um, Something like having a housekeeper come, would that fall in that category or is that more stressful because you're at home when they would come? To me, that would be super awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because thankfully my mom lived close by. So like Mm -hmm. I said, I want to say she stayed three weeks with me probably. Yeah. So she of course was cleaning, but if I didn't have her, I had a 17 year old son at home. He wasn't going to be, you Mm -hmm. know, like he wouldn't have had dinner. He wouldn't have had anything, you know, so she cooked this dinner. And so if you don't have family close by, which most people don't have the luxury, I mean, my mom was able to come. But that's not a a luxury that I know a lot of my friends would have because they live in other states or, you know, it's just not possible. So yeah, to have a house cleaner would be amazing. Yeah. And I've also heard too, even just sending gift cards in the mail, you know, to restaurants. I don't know if you had any of that or not, but um, I've had people say that's super helpful because then when you do have one of those nights where you don't have a meal, you could easily just order takeout. Yeah, that was super nice. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I will say too, I know um, I can completely relate to the point you made about how people sometimes don't say anything because they don't know what to say. And you know, we're afraid of saying something bad or, you know, make things worse. And so, you know, I am in school to be a counselor and that is something I have learned is it's really okay just to, you can call somebody and just say, I am so sorry. Like the, I am so sorry you're walking through this is enough, you know, like, and and I don't know, it's better than nothing. Like you said, you know, it's better than not even acknowledging it. And so I do think a lot of us get a little worked up over, Oh, what do I say? I don't know. What if I say something that offends or what if I, you know, say something that makes them think, I'm judging or I don't know, you know, just all the thoughts that you overthink it basically. And just, and also one other thing I heard from somebody was it's not about 
me. So like when I'm not the one walking through it, you know, it's about you. So what do you need? And you just need someone to love on you right now, you know? So exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes now, because I still don't know what to say because you don't know what anyone needs. But sometimes now I even say, I don't know what to say. I don't feel like there are words that adequately express what you're going through or what my heart feels for you. I I just want you to know I'm here for you Yeah, and just really be honest. You know, that is honest. You don't know what to say because you, you haven't been in that situation and that's okay. No one expects you to heal everything, but it is so nice. I mean, I could name off so many of my friends that just texted like almost every day or every week for several months going, Hey, thinking of you, anything I can do for you today, love you. You're, you know, you're strong, whatever. It it just made my day. They're the ones, you know, them and my family that checked on me every day and made sure that I was okay. It was, it made all the difference in the world. Yeah. That's really powerful and a great reminder too. All right. So before we hop off here, do you want to give any other final words of encouragement or anything to anybody listening today that, you know, just might currently be walking through something like this? Yes. I had a, um, what was it? It was a sermon that I had listened to by Max Licato. I had gone through something a few years earlier that was really hard. And there were several things that I just would put up. My whole house was decorated and still some of it is like, I just put up scriptures that really helped me. And then I also always had praise music going and just things that would um, be uplifting to me. I would go on gratitude walks and I couldn't walk very far at first, but I would, um, just start walking and praising God for steps. So I would thank him for everything that was working. So my toes that helped me balance my ankles that rotated and moved so I could move forward my knees joints. And I would work my way up my body saying things that I was grateful for. And whenever I got done, I would start saying things I was grateful for in the people around me and things that, you know, I saw God's blessings in their life. And then I'd pray a spiritual blessing over each one of them. God bless and keep you. God, make your face shine upon you, but may he be faithful to you and turn towards you. And so just repeating those things over and over helped me not to look so focused on myself. But one of the things that Max Licato that I wrote down that I always would read every morning is he said, you'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. Don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. And so it was just so simple. But really, that's the main thing is that even if it feels like you're alone, to know that God's with you is it's just so humbling. And I think my biggest heart for people is that we all go through things. But what it, what really hurts my heart is if they're having to go through it without God, because I, you know, I just couldn't done it, have done it without his peace, because it was, I understand that verse so well now, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm. Like I couldn't understand how I could have peace during that storm a lot of times. And I did. And it was just because God was my strength during that time. Wow, that's so powerful. Well, thank you for sharing. I know there's been a lot of practical tips, but then a lot of just, um, it's just great to get an inside behind the scenes view from somebody who has actually walked through breast cancer and has overcome. Well, you can't say that I did not warn you in the intro to keep your Kleenex box nearby. I hope you actually took my advice and did that. I 
know that this episode just blessed every single person who listened. I also just want to recap and some of the things that Becky said, just practically speaking about that self-care. I want to challenge you and I would even go so far to challenge you to come to my Instagram page or my Facebook page and comment on the image of this episode and just tell us how you're going to take into action those practical steps that Becky shared, whether you have breast cancer or not. like this applies to all of us, the self-care stuff. So I want to hear from you. I want to hear what are you doing for self-care, even if it's one thing that you commit to doing. I personally am committing to getting more sleep. That's a really big deal for me and I know I need it. So that's my thing. And then she also said the part about just because we can juggle a lot of things doesn't mean we need to. So I would also challenge you and I'm challenging myself. I don't just get on soapboxes. I get in the trenches with you to really look at our schedules and say, okay, what am I doing that God has not called me to that I am hanging on to that I need to let go of? And then finally, I also want to challenge you on asking the Lord just to open your eyes to people around you who might be walking through a really tough time and ask him for a practical way that you can serve those people, whether it's sending the gift card, whether it's sending that text or a call or a note in the mail or doing the amazing thing that she had done for her where her friend bought her, you know, a hairstylist to fix her hair, whatever you, we all have different uh, means and resources, right? So if you don't have a lot of money, ask the Lord to give you wisdom. You've got hands, you can go and clean and serve and do different things. And so whatever the resources in your hand, ask the Lord how you can serve somebody else. And if you're the one in the situation, I just want to bless you. And I just also speak life over you. Also to speak that the Lord would do exactly what he did for Becky and surround you with those angels throughout your journey who would just point you in the right direction and give you that extra bit of hope for those days that you just feel like you can't keep going. All right, friends, I know this was a long episode, but I told you it was worth it. It was worth every single minute. And I just thank you so much for staying tuned. And we will see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel. Have a great day.